if you've been at G2 for the last uh, few weeks this term, we've been looking at a series to do with stories of church planting, partly because uh, we've just commissioned the team to go out and start a new church, and partly because we think um, there is more of that ahead. So we wanted to uh, immerse ourselves in that discussion, to chew over some of the ideas, some of the practicalities, um, and also maybe to surprise ourselves with um, what God's put in our hearts in terms of what we might individually be involved in in the future. It could be I'm looking at a room full of people who are going to go and plant a church, maybe tomorrow, maybe next year, maybe in 10 years. So we wanted to grapple with it and look at it through this series of stories of church planting. Um, in each one we've had an exercise which I know has overlapped, but has helped it not just be uh, a monologue from the front, but it's something we've engaged in and discussed. So if we can have that on the screen, I'm going to get you to do another exercise like that today. So we've looked at the idea of church planting in discussion in a variety of ways. We uh, had a session where we looked at resources. What resources did you feel you might need if you were planning a church plant? We've looked at it in terms of priorities. What would you put first? Is it teaching or is it worship or is it organising or something else? Uh, last week Josh asked us to think about culture in the idea of the city. What is the city? What's the uh, culture into which uh, a church might be planted or, or in your life, what cultures are you involved in? And today I want to ask you the question to think about church planting through the lens of what I'm going to call a kingdom vision. A bit more of that will come out in the talk that follows. But the idea I want to put to you is not that we sort of... Uh, buy a 3D printer and we just sort of clone churches and we just, we just pop them out and each one looks exactly the same. It's like an Ikea sort of flat pack and everyone that gets the box ends up with exactly the same church. And I want to suggest to you that the, the heart, the energy that drives the commissioning of a new church is a kingdom vision. And by that I mean a cause, a passionate idea which, from which the church plant is in a sense almost just a consequence of engaging with that discussion. So just to get you thinking, what ideas might it be? It might be that you want to focus on a need, so you might think, okay, what about food bank? Let's unpack food bank in terms of church plant. What, that, what might that look like? The kingdom vision is food bank, helping people in need in our local community, and then, and then the outworking of that is a food bank church, whatever that might be. Um, it could be a group of people. Um, what we know from research, not just in this country, but in other countries, is that the churches that already exist tend to reach only a certain sector of society. That makes sense, because we've got all sorts of options for supermarkets or television channels, and church probably ought to be something similar. Uh, no one church might be the right church for everyone, and if our churches are all very similar, then there are lots of people who don't have a church that is accessible for them. So you might want to start with a group of people that you know. It might be your street, or it might be, well, this kind of people, or people who have this value, or people who work in this way, or people from this country that live in your etc. It might be people. It may be a, a problem 
or an opportunity. And remember in the first church plant series, um, the first talk that we looked at, we looked at uh, Antioch. And Antioch was a church that was planted because people got persecuted and displaced from their homes and had to go and live somewhere else. So it's actually very theological to think about problems or opportunities as a means by which a church plant might be commissioned. Okay? So you've got the idea. Kingdom vision, and the question is, what is your church plant? Uh, we've provided for you uh, a couple of sheets of paper on the table. Um, the hope is that every table will spontaneously collaborate around one idea which you are united on in your heart. If not, there's, uh, there's two bits of paper, so you could have more than one. I guess you could tear it down the middle and come up with some more. But let's churn over some ideas. We're going to take about five minutes to do that, and I'll collect some feedback. So start chatting to the people on your table, unpack this idea of a kingdom vision, chip in your idea, and then let's see where we get to. At the top, what I'd like you to do is name it. I'd like you to give it a name. Give it a specific name. And then there's no particular format, but just write some things down underneath that are distinctive about this church that you are designing or commissioning. Okay? Great. Five minutes. Off you go. Okay, uh, well, we'll, 
everyone's ideas, I'm sure, is good. Oh, hey, on. What we got? Um, so we've got um, a street church, sort of aimed at um, homeless people. Um, um, and there'll be elements of prayer and worship, um, not necessarily in the standard form. Um, we need some practical needs with um, providing food, clothes, washing, um, showers, um, and then there'll be friendship and support and links with organisations like CAP and uh, charities similar to Food Bank. Brilliant. Okay. Freya's going to collect those up and we're going to catch those at the end of the meeting. If you've got a Bible and you want to turn to Acts chapter 19. And I'm going to read just the first 10 verses of Acts chapter 19. It's on page 773. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, No, we've not even heard that there's a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, Then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were all baptised into the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on him, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. And there were twelve men in all. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some people became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly went maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. So we've been looking in this series at um, examples of churches started by just one person, the Apostle uh, Paul. And they're all contained in the book of Acts and there are other churches started in the book of Acts um, as well. We began looking at Antioch, starting out of persecution, a church that became a resource and ascending base. Uh, last week, Josh looked at the church in Athens, a philosophical city where uh, Paul began by uh, preaching next to the, a cultural statue that reflected their sort of uh, atheism, their search uh, for God. And uh, a few weeks ago, we looked at the church in Corinth. Uh, where Paul started in the synagogue, and then the synagogue lay, leader comes to faith, and they start meeting uh, next door to the synagogue. And then today, looking at this church in Ephesus, um, through which a training centre for church planting was established. So we've already seen something of Paul's uh, method. He visited somewhere, he found a public place or a, a place of, of common meeting. In in Jewish cities, that was the synagogue. Uh, In other cities, it might be the marketplace or a cultural place. Um, He proclaimed Jesus, and what the message he proclaimed was different in different places because he tried to um, respond to the needs or the questions that the people that lived there had. Uh, And he makes disciples of those that respond, and that's the beginning of the new church. And then as Paul's... Patmos, he was an apostle, this was what he was 
doing primarily commissioning new churches, then he would leave. And then we also find that some of the names of people who come through these church plants become team members. People like Priscilla, Aquila, Timothy, uh, Apollos, Silas, uh, and others as you read on. People that he connects with in individual churches or sometimes even converts in a church become part of his travelling team of people who are planting churches. Uh, and this uh, church in... Uh, so, uh, different models. Uh, some churches that he started were started almost by accident, um, not with necessarily an intent, just caught up in this idea that he would travel, speak about Jesus, see who responded, and establish a new community of believers. But we also find two key models that Paul uses. The first was the one in Antioch, where that church became a resource, a hub, from which uh, leaders were sent out and then came back and then teams went out and came back. And then also this example today in Acts chapter 19 in Ephesus, where Paul establishes uh, a training base where he trains people for two years. And the, the incredible statement that's at the end of that reading, where, he's, where we're told all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. And no doubt there's some exaggeration in there, in that probably not absolutely every person was guaranteed to hear the message of Jesus. But what they're saying is, through, through this training base, where Paul met in one city daily over two years, talking to people, explaining the gospel, and, and many other things maybe he explained to them, that had the effect of sending out people all over the province, not just to the Jewish culture, but to all the other non-Jewish, the Gentile cultures that were represented in that region. And if we can just have a little flick of the map, here's a little map that I stole off the internet, and Dave, you can just click on, and these, are, these red dots are just plants that are mentioned in the book of Acts to do with the Apostle Paul. And then we know from church history there are others as well. So the Wiggly Line wiggles there because that's a shipwreck. Malta, um, where they are shipwrecked and then people think they're gods because they get... Oh, you've read the story, it's great. It's going to be a brilliant movie. And then um, on to Rome and eventually Paul ends up in Rome. He's a citizen. He's sent there because he's on trial and the gospel reaches uh, Rome. And then actually two centuries later, the Roman Empire is a Christian empire uh, principally through the missionary work of the Apostle Paul. So here we have a picture of how uh, church planting has had uh, an impact on a whole province. And actually we know there are more churches planted than that uh, by people that travelled with Paul and no doubt we don't have records, for example, uh, from the Hall of Tyrannus, all these people, where did they go? There are, there's no comprehensive list of where they went, except that we know they covered the whole province through church planting. And that idea, I think, is fundamental to the church. In fact, I think it's actually weird that the church in the developed world pictures itself as a static thing. That we've got buildings that are churches, they're all ancient and old, and they've sort of always been there and always will be there. And it, what it gives us is almost an idea that, that, that God's church is a static creature. 
And that's what it is. And our job is actually just to keep that thing going. I think this idea of Paul um, training leaders, teaching the gospel, of going places and starting and refreshing churches is much more normative to the idea of what Christianity is. That we are, we are caught up in something that is spreading. And the Great Commission is that we are all to go out and proclaim Jesus to everyone we meet and to baptise those who respond and through that God's church is built. And in the north of England we have our own unique heritage of how that happened. And so we have some uh, northern saints uh, such as Cuthbert, Aidan, Hilda, Paulinus, who were around sort of 7th, 8th century and beyond, who were all uh, travelling evangelists, perhaps people a bit like the Apostle Paul, who travelled through a country where people hadn't heard about Jesus, proclaimed the message wherever they want, and through that churches were started. In fact, I found an inscription in St Cuthbert's, which is the other building that belongs to St Michael of Belfry, it's on Pisa and Green. And actually that, that church building is clearly built upon uh, the ruins of an earlier church that was established by Cuthbert in the 7th century uh, as a result of his evangelism to the city of York. And in fact, our own Archbishop, Archbishop Sensimu, is, is currently retracing some of the, the steps of these um, travelling evangelists of Paulinus and Cuthbert and Aidan. He's following their paths uh, recreating some of the missionary journeys that they did on foot. And I did a bit of research into it. It's incredibly cool what they did. So this, this, was how, this is how you do this form of evangelism. Firstly, you get up early. And then you pray for two hours. And then you go to church, you have Holy Communion, and you consecrate your whole day to God. Then you have a sturdy breakfast. That probably means one that's going to last you all day, you know, like... Sausage, egg, muffin, hash brown, that kind of thing. Whatever your preference. Uh, then you hit the road and you just walk somewhere. And whoever you meet, you stop them and greet them in Jesus' name. And if you find a Christian response, then you bless your brother or sister. So you say a blessing over them and then you don't delay any longer. You carry along your way. If you find someone that doesn't know Jesus, you stay and evangelise them until they've heard about who Jesus is. And some of them have made a response. You travel until sunset, and then at sunset you pray that God provides uh, a man or a woman of peace who will give you lodgings for the night, and then the next morning you repeat that journey. And the history of, of the church in England, in the north of England, uh, in Europe, uh, has this as its heritage. And so if we're engaging with church planting as a movement, as a, as a mission, as a perpetual idea, actually what we're doing is rediscovering our heritage. We're rediscovering uh, the, the, the idea and the, the mission and the impetus from God that actually caused what we have now to be created. And uh, if you know your history, you'll know that England has a heritage of both the cathedral and the monastic church life until Henry VIII when he sacked the monasteries uh, there's still some remain and we're kind of left with more the cathedral life the cathedrals were to do with the bishop and they were about churches in the public space and they were often they were actually probably more often reproduced in that each each parish that came that was reproduced was 
did the similar work as the one that it was sort of planted out from. And then we also have this um, uh, monastic life. And the monastic life, the monks and the friars uh, were much more holistic in their faith. So not like the parish where it was services, times of prayer, and people set apart to a very specific role. Uh, so you might pay, pray, pay a priest to go to church every day to pray for you because you were too busy making money or uh, you would commission a priest to pray for your industry. You were the tailors or you were the merchants or you were the entrepreneurs. And so that's how some of those uh, chapels and parishes were set up. But the monastic, the friars, um, had a kind of uh, a holistic view of life. All of life was joined up. And actually they were often uh, entrepreneurs. They were the dragon's den of their day. So they would set up a self-supporting community. Often it meant they baked the bread, uh, they made the beer, they kept bees, maybe they made cloth, they grew uh, vegetables, uh, they were sometimes the educators, so they, they were learned people, they could read and write, and they would often be uh, educators in the community. And, and the monastic life was, was a, a much more whole life. All of it was seen as joined up, not just the oh, going to church at a certain time. So if you knocked on the door of a monastery in the Middle Ages and said, I want to find out who Jesus is, what they would do is say, come and live with us. Come on in and live with us. Come and, um, come and eat at the same table as us. Come and join us in our work. Some of us are gardening. Some of us are teaching, reading and writing. Some of us are doing this job. If you want, come and pray with us. And the rule was, if somebody came, you would immerse them in that life for two weeks before you had any spiritual conversation with them. So before you say, okay, let me just tell you the gospel, you would let them taste it and see it. So I think we are entering, as a, as a church as a whole, a phase of uh, seeking the re-innovation of church. I reckon there are new ways of thinking about church but haven't been thought of. And we need to almost give permission to think imaginatively about what does church that connects with all the people that we've discussed at our tables look like, rather than seeing it like uh, a flat pack idea that's fixed that we all subscribe to. And it's possible in times past that that was productive and helpful. But I think in our generation that doesn't work. Every church needs to have a kingdom vision, an understanding of why is it here. Not just because we wanted to start a new church, but because there was a kingdom vision, mission or cause that drove it to exist. And one of the things I get to do um, with my job is I interview uh, people who want to be uh, church planters in the Church of England. So I do interviews on behalf of the Church of England. And it's a great thing to do because I get to meet people and hear about the ideas that they have. And uh, I just jotted down a few of the ones that I've, I've heard over the last two years. Um, I spoke to somebody who had an idea about a charity shop. He said, that, he said in his community, the charity shops are the hub on the high street. It's the one that people are in and out of. So he was, he was trying to figure out, what would it look like if I started a church in a charity shop or a charity shop was a church. Um, I spoke to somebody who lived in Grimsby who um, had lived there all his life and had noted that there was like a dynamic in his local community. There was, there was a couple of shops, one place, just down the road, a chemist and a pharmacist, 
and then just down the road, a community centre. And he researched the area and he said this, this was like the flow of the community. And so he was trying to figure out what would it look like to start a church in the community centre that connected with the people that used this doctor's surgery and, and frequented those uh, shops. In fact, he told me he sat outside the doctors in his car one day, making notes on everyone that went in. That's a bit weird, but um, it was probably a very fruitful exercise. Um, I met someone else who had a, a, a model of church planting that was around a discipleship house. So a group of friends live in a house, they pool their income, and they share their income with one another so that um, not all of them need to work for jobs for money, but some of them can be released to do some kind of Christian work or social action or project. And then her aim was just to multiply those, uh, each one being like a little Christian community with its own, almost like a little monastic community with its own uh, uh, works or cause that it was doing, self-sustaining, it wasn't asking anyone to give it a grant or, or funds, they'd figured out how to resource it and do the ministry as well. I spoke to somebody else who uh, was setting up a church working with drug users because she realised these are people that find it really hard to connect with churches, churches that exist find it very hard to connect um, with these people, so she set up a church for drug users uh, and ex-drug users. Um, I spoke to a, uh, another person who was just 22, and she'd been working voluntarily in a school, and she realised um, a lot of the children and the families that they came from um, didn't really know much about food and how to, how to cook and make food. And so she, she was halfway into basically starting a church that resulted from the fact that she was working in the school and she, she was voluntarily running clubs for the children during the day to teach them how to bake and then clubs in the evening for parents to teach them how to cook food. And in doing this, she was just she was kind of gathering a community and they were all learning that her kind of the impetus that was behind it for her was her Christian faith, even though she was responding to their practical need. And out of it, she was halfway into, in effect, starting a church. And the last example, which isn't really mine, but um, uh, and Church in London, Holy Trinity, Brompton, have set themselves the vision of saying, what if, what if a church building is closing? Does God still have a plan for that place? Now, maybe some of them are falling down and they need endless amounts of money spent on them and maybe they're not in a good location. But some of these uh, church buildings don't need to be turned into pubs or carpet shops. They, they, could, they could be restarted afresh as a living church. We're going to pray in a minute. Um, but I want to just kind of conclude this series by saying I think there's a call on our generation to think afresh about church. And to also be bothered about the idea that that um, there aren't enough churches to reach people who don't go to church. That we need to think creatively and imaginatively about what that might look like. That probably some of the expressions of church that need to be started haven't yet been thought of. Maybe some of you need to figure that out. And some of you I know are thinking that through. You are thinking through. I want to reach these people and I don't think there's anything that they would connect with. So I want to explore, to figure out what would church look like for this group of people? And just like Paul had models, Paul had models, he had methods. We need to think through our models and our methods. Do we need our equivalent of the Hall of Tyrannus where people are trained and then sent out? Paul wouldn't have known what many of those people did. He would have just built them up, 
given them the information, inspired them with the vision, and then let them go to their localities where they lived to start new churches. <coughs> 